The Exorcist is a fantastic film. And it's fantastic for multiple reasons. One of those is that it overthrows the religion of scientism and modern medicine. It's subversive to the errors of modern women. And it shows us or it demonstrates the power of Christ's agape love. The Exorcist is a horror film that came out in the early 70s. It's considered one of the most classic horror films of all time. It's a film based off a novel by William Peter Blady, Blady, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. We'll just say Blady. Who is the son of uh, Roman Catholic Lebanese immigrants and whose mother was deeply Roman Catholic and it shows through in the film. Many horror films are not worth watching because they consist of the grotesque and the horrific for the sake of the grotesque and the horrific. As a Christian and as a pastor, I would say it's unhealthy to have a fascination with the horrific and the macabre and, and the grotesque. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Speaking of wisdom, the Proverbs say, all who hate me love death. And in this All Hallows Eve season, we have seen our culture of death externalize its love of death with their ritual veneration of evil. However, the horrific does exist. Demonic possessions do exist. It's part of our human experience. And so we should expect Christians to make horror films that are good films. I think The Exorcist fits the bill. The Exorcist was quite surprising to me in that it was not a movie of fear for the sake of fear. And it certainly has the horrific and the grotesque at moments, but it's not the focus or the point of the film. The film is not catering to an audience who are in it for shock value or to simply be frightened. I don't know what Blatty or the director William Friedkin wanted to convey, but I found The Exorcist to be a great example of what a good horror film looks like. And by good, I mean Christian, as anything that is good is going to have the fingerprints of the source of all that is good, beautiful, and true in it. I've probably said this elsewhere, and I use the title a Christian horror film to be attention-grabbing, but the point of it is that particularly evangelicals have in their minds that Christian films have to be sanitized of most real-world things. It has to preach like a sermon, and um, it has to be produced by an evangelical Christian. Well, Blatty is none of those things. He's a Roman Catholic, though, so he is a Christian, and he's not giving us an exposition like a sermon, which is what makes films bad when you give an exposition that's not the place for it now if a sermon was cryptic like a movie then that would be a bad sermon because sermons are to be expositions basically that's what it comes down to is that films have to be have to rely on subtext evangelicals aren't very good with subtext it's not really helpful to have subtext in evangelism often but in art it is and it can be evangelistic in a sense but one of the things that i thought was great about the exorcist was that it was subversive to aspects of modern culture that are evil so what do i mean one of the more subtle themes but certainly a present theme is that of father hunger or fatherlessness we are introduced to a single mother who is an actress chris mcneil and her daughter reagan mcneil living on their own in washington dc she is the quintessential modern woman single mother actress what 
the hell do you mean going off and leaving Reagan by yourself? The film is not heavy-handed in communicating that Chris is separated from her husband, but we are informed of this. Reagan seems like a happy, normal child. We see that Chris shows Reagan affection and Reagan loves her mother. At one point, Reagan asks her mother if she's going to marry a man who comes over to their house from time to time. Chris shrugs it off. Later, this man is found dead down a stairwell below uh, Reagan's second story window and his head is turned completely backwards. Brooke's dead. He must have been drunk. He fell down from the top of the steps right outside. By the time he hit M Street, he broke his neck. Oh, God. Well, what we have here is a single working mother who no longer has the headship of her husband in the home or the headship of elders in the church as she's not a churchgoer. At one point, Reagan overhears her mother cursing over the phone about her estranged husband for not calling to talk to Reagan. Uh, I think I was on her birthday, maybe. Chris is in a frenzy, cursing at the top of her lungs, all the while Reagan is listening. What do you do, take an illiteracy test to get that job for in another scene, Chris finds out that while she is at work, Reagan has been at home playing with a Ouija board. Hey, where'd this come from? I found it. You been playing with it? Yep. It's implied that the Ouija board is the medium by which this demon enters the home and ultimately Reagan herself. Well, let's both put your head. You really don't want me to play, huh? No, I do. Captain Howdy said no. Captain who? Captain Howdy. Who's Captain Howdy? You know, I make the questions and he does the answers. The demon begins to possess Reagan by degrees. Reagan begins doing all kinds of weird, unnatural, disturbing things. The father is absent and the snake has entered the garden. Chris takes Reagan to a family physician. Something is wrong with my child. Let's put them on drugs. Chris is the modern woman par excellence. The doctor does a test. We see a glimpse of the demon manifest in Reagan at this point. The doctor asks if Reagan is depressed. Chris is surprised he would ask. The subtext of the doctor's question is that Reagan is depressed because her dad isn't around. The doctor may have asked if Chris was divorced or if the father was present, I, I can't remember, but the doctor is ultimately not able to help her. So he suggests going to specialists. These specialists take a brain scan of Reagan. The giant brain scanning instrument is almost as horrific as the demon itself. An interesting comparison and one that I think is deliberately done. Reagan is stressed and frightened while these tests are happening. The specialists find nothing wrong with her brain. Chris takes her to more specialists. Nothing. Then Chris brings in a psychiatrist, thinking it's not a physiological issue, but a psychological one. I'm speaking to the person inside of Reagan now. If you are there, you too are hypnotized and must answer all my questions. Come forward. Answer me now. The psychiatrist is also unable to do anything, except for being attacked by the demonically possessed Reagan. Chris finally takes Reagan to this kind of top-tier team of doctors and medical specialists, and they don't know what to do, but they suggest that an exorcism might work. To their thinking, if the possession is just a mentally induced state, perhaps the power of suggestion through a ritual like exorcism might provide a mentally induced cure. 
So it's kind of this cynical recommendation. Chris finds this ridiculous. She is bewildered and shocked that nobody can tell her what's wrong with her daughter. Chris's bewilderment shows that the modern world and naturalistic assumptions are insufficient to deal with spiritual realities. But since she is out of options, she goes for it. She finds a priest who she'd seen in her neighborhood and uh, asks him to do an exorcism. How do you go about getting an exorcism? Beg your pardon? And this priest's name is Father Damien Karras. Father Karras is essentially a non-believer. He's a Jesuit and a highly educated psychologist or psychiatrist. We see that he is attempting to leave the priesthood. He recognizes that he is no longer fit to be a man of the cloth. He doesn't believe anymore, and so he must go. But then comes this desperate woman begging for his help, and he reluctantly agrees. Father Karras examines Reagan and eventually concludes that she would likely qualify for an exorcism, but he remains skeptical. The Roman Church grants his request for an exorcism as long as an older seasoned priest oversees it enter Father Lancaster Marin. Father Marin is seen at the beginning of the film at this archaeological dig in the Middle East, and he unearths some demonic idol. As it's unearthed, we see dogs fighting with each other in the background. Somehow the unearthing of the idol simultaneously unearths this demon, and somehow the demon appears later in DC. Perhaps the idol was taken to a museum in DC. I don't think the movie explains the how, but we do see that whenever this demon makes itself present, feuding occurs. For example, when the demon manifest itself in Reagan at the doctor's office, we see two young boys fighting with each other in the waiting room. There may have been uh, more examples like this, but I don't remember. Father Marin and Father Karras begin their exorcist work on Reagan. Over time, Father Karras starts to believe again. Reagan's manifestations are so undeniably supernatural that it would be next to impossible to remain a skeptic or a naturalist. At times, she levitates, or the entire bed levitates. Things like this. Through this horrific supernatural manifestation, and Father Karras returns to God. The exorcism rituals and ceremonies have only a slight effect on the demon. The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! He brought you low by his bloodstained cross. Do not despise my command because you know me to be a sinner. But they ultimately don't work. This is an interesting and perhaps subversive point concerning mere ritual and ceremony. Because what ultimately does work is Christ-like sacrificial love. The demon eventually kills Father Marin. And in the culminating scene of the film, Father Karras grabs Reagan and with a loud voice says, Come into me! Come into me. And the demon leaves Reagan and enters into Father Karras. And at that same moment, Father Karras then throws himself out of the window, killing himself. He sacrifices himself for the sake of this little girl. He dies for the afflicted. He takes on the affliction of Reagan and frees her of it through his own sacrificial love. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. At the bottom of the staircase below Reagan's window, as Father Karras is dying on the ground, a fellow priest finds him and asks, do you want to make a confession? Father Karras can't speak, but he squeezes the priest's hand to communicate, yes, I do. And the priest asks, are you sorry for having offended God and all the sins of your past life? And Father Karras again squeezes his hand, and the priest then declares absolution to him before Father Karras dies. Just a fantastic scene. In the final scene, Reagan and her mother are moving out of their house, and they see Father Dyer, the priest who absolved Father Karras. Reagan's mother shakes Father Dyer's hand and says goodbye. But Reagan, looking intently at Father Dyer's 
Dyer's clerical tab, embraces Father Dyer and kisses him on the cheek. The fatherless Regan recognizes with gratitude what the father had done for her. Fantastic end to the film. <laughs>